Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crack Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crack Podcast. Today we have a special edition. Um, we join with obviously my two co-hosts. Let's give a big round of applause, please, for Mr. Demarcus Beasley. Next up, I have my other co-host uh, holding down the back and uh, controlling the fort. Let's give it up for the Glow, a.k.a. Aguchi Ayewo. What's going on, brother? What's going on? Good morning. Good morning. This is a special morning edition. I thank you guys for joining us today, and I thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, we have a special edition of what's relevant, what's going on today in the United States of America. Uh, we have some feelings and just some conversations I want to have with my brother. I woke up this morning with a tear in my eye. Um, I'm not a very emotional type of crying person, but I did uh, shed one tear. And I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure if it's a tear, <clears throat> rest in peace, <clears throat> Mr. George Floyd, or is it more of a tear of seeing our former teammates, classmates, friends, neighbors, some people that we might have loved or thought they loved us and they have not chosen or they have chosen not to stand um, on the same platform that we're standing on. And I just wanted to speak to my brothers today. Have a, we, have, we have no specific structure. I think a conversation, a little bit of therapy amongst ourselves would be needed. What do you think, Bees? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think now more than ever, uh, we need everyone to stand with us. Uh, you know, people of all shapes, religions, color, everybody, you know, because uh, this, this has been going on for far too long. And, you know, you can see uh, people are tired. People are angry. People are um, mad, you know, um, and which they have every right to be. And, you know, uh, I think, like you said, you know, a lot of people haven't, you know, I think this, this is the right time to, to, to see and to put, the, well, put yourself to see which side you're on, you know, uh, it's either you're with us or you're not with us. And, you know, for me, uh, for, for this to get anywhere close to, you know, um, uh, getting rid of racism and injustice, we all need to stick together and we all need to step up. We all need to use our voices, you know, whether it's a big platform or a small platform, you know, whether it's, you know, peaceful protesting, you know, doing what you can, understanding, you know, what this is for. Uh, I think that goes a long way and, it, and it's a start. It's a start, man. Gooch, um, you know, we had several conversations for years um, about 
racism in America, racism in U.S. soccer. How are you feeling this morning? Man, um, the same I've felt for the last 38 years, man. You know, it's this, um, this isn't new to us. You know, the three of us, this isn't new. This is not something like we woke up and we're like, okay, we're woke. This is, this is what's going on. You know, this is, I, I've witnessed this throughout my whole life, mm -hmm. right? My parents before me, you know, I, I could tell you stories about them coming to America from Nigeria and how they were treated mm -hmm. in, in DC in the seventies, you know, and, and this is, um, I, I don't imagine, know, man. man. I don't know, man. Like the other day, it was funny. Um, randomly I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing work, I'm doing school work. And, um, you know, there's all these memes and, and everything. There's all these videos being posted now. And, uh, all of a sudden there's a million and two activists. Mm -hmm. And there was this, uh, video, Michael Jackson's video. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love Michael Jackson. That's my man. And, uh, it was the, the, the song, they don't care about us. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, I just started, I, like, I started crying. Like to, I was to, I was in in my house alone. Nothing. Pro I just started crying because I realized, and it hit me. This song came out in 1997. Oh, 1995. Excuse me. And the same images of that video, the same discussion that he's singing about, is not even. It's it's the same. It's nothing has changed in the last 25 years, right? Um, except structurally and, and, and evolution-wise technology, but like systemically, nothing has changed. And I was just like, it kind of broke me because it's like, when, how, you know, wh why, why am I looked or treated or interpreted differently because I'm not, I don't have blonde hair, blue eyes. My pigmentation is, is darker, right? or my last name is different. My name is not American or, or whatever, you know? And, and I don't know, man, it's just, there's so many emotions right now. Um, and I would say the overall one is anger. Um, I, I would say that that's the one that kind of trumps every other one that I'm feeling right now. So I don't know, I've been a little, I'm glad we're doing this. Right. And then we can discuss this and we can talk about it because um, I think it's good that it's <laughs> how people are finally uh, universally uh, opening their eyes. Right. And, and all of a sudden everyone's seeing what's been going on for hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, today we, we have a guest coming on a little bit later, uh, actually in uh, quite quite some time. But. Um, it's, uh, I call him coach Stuck. Um, you know, his name is John Stuck and Snyder and we bring him on because he's not just a coach and somebody part of our soccer community, but he's an NYPD officer for over 20 years. And we bring him on cause we just want to have a conversation to get a little bit more insight and hear his opinion on certain things. And, uh, and so he'll be joining us later, but right now I'd like to discuss with you guys just about maybe experiences that you had with racism in our world, which is soccer. And um, it could, you know, if it's in the US Soccer Association, if it's while you were in high school, if it's while you were overseas, 
I'd love for you guys to share some of maybe your experiences that you might have had on and off the field while your, your playing career um, throughout the world. Uh, Bees, let's start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, I mean, uh, my soccer career, um, I, only, I only felt racism when I was, when I was in Europe. Um, I was with Rangers. Um, we had a game in, um, I can't remember what, which country. I mean, I remember, I remember the, name, the, the team's name. Um, it was FK uh, Zeta. Mm-hmm. I can't remember I can't remember where, and I don't want to, you know, be wrong and say the, the you know, the, the, the wrong, wrong country. So I just want to leave it at that. But um, yeah, um, the same thing that happened, you know, that's, that's happening now, you know, throughout the world of football, where you go to these, you go to some of these countries and, you know, they're making uh, monkey chants, um, you know, doing the, you know, uh, those those sorts of things, and you know, I, I felt that uh, I heard it every time I got the ball. Um, it, it was it, it was disgusting. It was sickening. You know, uh, I stood up and said something. You know, after the game, and and the team the team I was with at the time, Rangers. They you know they stood by me. You know, made a complaint to FIFA and uh, and all that stuff. And obviously, they said you know, basically what they always say. Uh, yeah, we're gonna look into it. You know, um, if there's any um, wrongdoings. We'll we'll try to uh, uh, get those 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 individuals or those parties out out of, out of football or you know banned or or whatever. And you know that's basically it. Um, but one and that that was just that was just football. <laughs> yeah. But, but one but one thing that I always you know that is and this all you know this happens and 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 a lot of people a lot of black people can can attest to this. I mean it's just, it's it's as simple as I've been in, you know, we've been in a million hotels and, you know, you, you, um, you're in a hotel and you about to get on the elevator and you see the elevator open, the doors open and you get on with, you know, maybe, you know, three white people, mm-hmm. uh, ladies or more, more so, you know, f- females, women. Yeah. And the first thing they do is they change the angle of their purse. Yeah. <laughs> or they they, they cl- and, and, it, and it happened and that and that's it right there that's a sense of racism mm-hmm. that is right that's right they think that just because i'm black i'm going to do something to them i'm going to steal them i'm going to rob them you know what i'm saying so you know even little things like that you know you can tell that racism exists it's it's it's, it's always going to be there even though even the little instances that happens you know throughout life you know it it, it, it happens you know and i hope that you know, this can, you know, bring a, uh, uh, a brighter light to, to what's really been going on, like you said, for the last 25, well, not even 25, the last 100 years. I mean, and you touched on it like in Europe, right? I'm not going to say I've only experienced it in Europe. You know, I went to college in the South, South Carolina, right? And, and it's, it was crazy. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, I'm 18 years old, you know, having people tell me these silly things. Look, girls that I would talk to say, you know, we can talk, but if I tell my father, he's going to take me off his will. Like no joke, no smile, no laughing, straight face. Like my father, my parents wouldn't allow it. I'll be disowned, stuff like that, you know? And, and to your point, obviously in Europe, these like, we've, we've seen it, right? We've seen the monkey chants, We've seen the booze or the the the, the gorilla chants. We've we've seen 
bananas being thrown on the field. You know, yeah. I, I've seen, I've been punched in the face by a fan. Um, and it's almost like <clears throat> they try to normalize it by saying, oh, it's, don't, don't take it personally. This is just how they are. Or yeah. it's been yeah. going on for this time, you know, and then it normalizes it and it gives it the authority to be okay and to continue and to continue and to continue. And it's yeah. just like, it's defeating, right? It's just like, okay, like, would you like to be in my shoes? Could, 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 a, could a white person sustain that, you know, for that kind of abuse for no reason? Not because you're playing bad, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not even because you're a rival, but just because you're, uh, you're black or you don't look like that, you know? And, and for me, it's like, you know, there was a quote somebody said the other day, and it was like, if the color of my skin is considered a weapon, I will always be seen as, seen as armed and dangerous. And like that, that, that hit me because it's like, it literally summarized everything, right? Like they say, you know, you're not born racist. And I believe that wholeheartedly. No baby's born racist, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, anything. You know, you're not born racist, but you're born into racism. And that, uh, and that it, that's that's strong. That's strong as well, right? Um, because this nation, and let me let's be blunt. Like, it's racist. It's what what it was built on. It's 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 what we it's, lived through. It's, it's built off of racism and it's sustained through making racism and racist situations and um, acceptable, right? Yeah. And and we're kind of raised in a country where it's not to end racism. It's not to um, combat racism is to know how to deal with racism and to be able to still function. And I think that's the, the part that maybe, not maybe, that we all flare up is because we're tired of, of being able to happen to be able to maneuver through racism, right? right. That shouldn't be a situation where that is okay and that is accepted in this country. Um, what I love about our platform is that you guys are really the you're not the norm in terms of the careers that you had, the lives that you experienced. And uh, myself, I, I represent the guys who didn't have the, the great path and, and, the, and the great success that you guys had and maybe had to play four years of college soccer, maybe had to go through a little bit more hardship that um, you know, others who are elite athletes like yourself didn't have to experience. You know, One thing I, I feel that I was always fortunate in life is soccer saved my life because I had to deal with racism from a young age. Growing up in an all-black neighborhood, I played soccer amongst the suburbs where I was really usually the only black on the field. And I say that I'm, that, that, that was a, um, something I think I benefited from because I didn't deal with racism like a lot of my friends I'm at the school with the first time in college being in a, a multiracial institution or at work or because in a black neighborhood, only time they really get a chance to deal with a white confrontation is through a police officer. So that's where the hate is built from because that's their first situation of racism. My first, first situation of racism at 10 years old is documented in Long Island Junior Soccer League that a, a player called myself a nigger and his father made other 
statements. And I chased the kids. My father chased their father. It was a big situation. If you know Mookie from Long Island you, and you grew up with me, you know about that situation. And continuously over and over again, I had to deal with that as we traveled and played tournaments in, in, in down south. But even in New York City, it's even worse than down south. Because what I, saw, what I realized about down south is that at least they know they have an understanding because they have so many race relationships and situations and they're kind of really segregated. While in New York City, you could, you could be right with somebody who really feels that you're a threat, you shouldn't be here, and they don't want you in this country. But right. It's almost like down south, like they understand that's their identity, albeit it's poor, it's not and, right. And, and they have an understanding. Like, listen, okay, you stay over there, I stay over here, and I understand how to deal with you, you understand how to deal with me. While New York City was like, it's a melting pot, and you have all these different issues where people really, um, you know, living head on. And, and what I always knew is that I had people that love me who are, right. are my color skin, right. don't have my heritage, that love me. But they love me because I'm Mookie on the soccer field. They love me because I was a, a, a Mookie, the soccer player, who they got a chance to really know, got a chance to really um, meet my parents and meet my family and see how great people we are. But if I was walking down the street and they did not know me, that would not be treated with the same type of respect or same type of love and care. And how do you, and how do you grow up in a world where you know your teammates, you know they're racist, you know they, they call blacks niggas when they're not around you, you know they do things unconsciously in their household. But they say, oh, I'm not racist because I know Mookie and he's my friend. And he came over my house yesterday and, I, and, and, and we shared laughs and jokes, you know? And, and I think we're in a time period where, for me, Goose, like you said, it's nothing, or Bees, is nothing different, right? I tell people, I said, listen, Sean Bell, I'm a new Diallo. You know, we go on and on of, we, the same thing happens. Michael Brown in St. Louis, same thing happens. We ride, we kick and scream, and then eventually it fades away. And then it comes back stronger and stronger. And just like an argument and relationship, with, like an argument with your spouse or your, your loved one. You know, if you don't deal with the conflict ahead, it's going to get bigger and bigger. Every argument is yeah. going to be worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly what Goose said. You know, it's just, uh, they feel it's, it's normal, you know. It's the, and it's, it's exactly what we're talking about today, you know. Uh, when things happen to, you know, uh, to, to black people and they're and they're killed um, in broad daylight on 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 camera, and the cops don't get you know don't get sentenced, don't get don't get um, you know put in prison and held accountable for their actions, and just they just get a slap on the wrist, they get a trial and nothing happens. That's that's been the normal in this country, you know. The cops know that if they do something, they kill if they kill. An innocent black man, no gun, no nothing, no. They they know they get protected. They know it. You guys, you know, up. I guess in the last few years, the the term has been thrown around white privilege, right? Right, white privilege. Everyone hears it, white privilege, and it's funny because the only people that don't understand that are the white people, right? They don't understand. They're like, well, you know, well, I, I, I grew up in the hood. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not privileged. I'm, not, I'm like, you don't understand. So I have, I have black friends. Yeah, I have black friends. My, or, or I, I worked I, hard to, to, to get into that college. Yeah, bro, 
I can't tell you how many in the last 72 hours, how many random text messages I've received from my friends, white friends. How you doing? This and that. This is terrible. And I love it. And I'm grateful. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they're conscious of it. But there, this is, this is an example of white privilege. Like, this has been going on. White, this has been going on forever. And white America has avoided it, avoided dealing with it. And that's part of their privilege that they're, they've been able to avoid this for all this time. You know what I mean? And that's part of what we have to sustain that we don't have that luxury. We can't avoid this. I wake up, I'm there. I, you condition yourself as a black person in the community, and even more so as a black man, when you approach certain people so you don't come off aggressive, right? I've had people come up to me and be like, yeah, but you're not really black because I'm light-skinned, right? Like, you're different. You're educated and you're light-skinned. So you're di- what the you're fuck different. is that? You're not really black. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're light-skinned, man. You're not really black. I'm like, and, and you guys know me, right? Like, I'm 400% Nigerian. Like, there's no one that's not going to tell me I'm black. And that infuriates me that they, in their minds, this, my skin, dictates to them what's black or not. So if me and bees are standing side by side, they'll be like, yeah, you're not as black as bees. What? But that goes back to, you know, society and, and, and the mental, what they put in our heads, right? In terms of black is always bad. Black is always negative. But I like Gucci, you mentioned earlier about systematic racism. That's the, my biggest issue, right? It's like somebody calls me a nigga, I can deal with that. But if, a, if the system sets you up to fail or to not be successful, that's the issue. I give you last night we had a conference call with the Black Soccer Coaches Association Leadership Group. Um, and they brought on a vice president for the US Soccer Coaches Association and two other leaders from the advocacy group. Mm-hmm. And they told us that they made a statement yesterday. They put out on Twitter, they put a statement out saying that we all united and they stand behind and Ray, Ray, Ray. And I asked them, if we're the black soccer advocacy group, how, how come you didn't come to talk to us before releasing the statement? Mm-hmm. They said to me, we wanted to make sure we put some urgency and do something immediately. I said, your urgency should be um, um, contacting the Black, uh, Black, soccer, Black, coach, Black Soccer Coaches Association. That's where your urgency should have been first. How long does it take to make a Zoom call, to make a phone call? What urgency? It's the optics. Yeah. It's the optics. You know, and, 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 I, and, and I said to them, I said, we're having this call today because we want to put together a proposal to present to the board. So I'm asking you a question, since, you're the, since you represent the board, what is the next step after we put the proposal together of what we feel that the Soccer Coaches Association should be doing to end racism in soccer, in, in coaches, Soccer Coaches Association? And they said to me, oh, well, it has to go through this person and that person, that person, and maybe it will get towards the board. I said, so you're telling me that if we put together a proposal that we're not even guaranteed that it will get to the board? And I asked them, how many of us are on that board? None. Zero. Zero. So we have to go through five filters to get to the top of the board to make a decision. And then at that board, we're not even able to sit there to even explain or to have somebody talk for us to present it. Even a discussion. Can't even get a discussion. This is, this is, this is the lifestyle. This is what we've born into. How many hoops do we have to go through? How many situations do we have to kind of raise our voice to in order to even just be heard one time? 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and it's funny, this is going to be controversial because, you know, obviously I'm a product of U.S. soccer. Love U.S. soccer. They gave me my platform, assisted me in my career, everything. And, and I 100% am with them in their uh, United Against Racism uh, campaign that they're doing right now, right? But then it, it, it makes me question that three years ago, during the whole Colin Kaepernick stuff and kneeling, U.S. soccer, they banned kneeling during the national mm-hmm. anthem. Mm-hmm. They publicly said, we banned kneeling. Our players cannot kneel. I guarantee you right now, nobody's going to have a problem with kneeling because they know, <laughs> they, they, they know what the flip side of it is now. Yeah. Oh, we don't, kneeling's not acceptable. Kneeling's not acceptable. They see riots. Yeah. Can you guys please kneel? Can you, uh, we, we'd like it if you guys kneel. We, we prefer that now. Sorry, we, yeah. didn't, we, we didn't see the other side of the coin, you know? And, and then, so that, go ahead, Beast, go ahead. No, 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 and I'm saying that's, that's, that's the problem. That is 100% the problem, is that we're trying to do it, you know, peacefully and trying to do it in a way where, you know, to open your eyes and understand what we're actually talking about. Right. They didn't, they were, every, anybody that, that, that banned, you know, uh, players, um, uh, um, uh, institutions about about kneeling, they didn't understand the call. They didn't want. They didn't want to understand the call. They didn't want to understand. They, they didn't want to understand. They didn't want to dig deep and say, okay, why? Why is you know why? Why is she doing this? Why is he really doing this? Why are they, they only really look on the surface? Only on the surface. They, only on the surface. Oh, it's the flag. It's the flag. It has nothing to do with the flag. <laughs> it happened. It all. It's all about the injustice that's happening in this country. Yeah, that's what it's about. And no one didn't want to listen. No one didn't want to hear. No one didn't want to read about it. No one didn't want to, you know, like we're saying now, you know, open your mind, understand what we're actually talking about. Listen. Right. Really listen. And then you hear their responses. No, no, no. That's not the right way to protest. That's not the right. right way to protest. The definition of protest is a public expression of objection yeah. or dissent to an idea. So in their eyes, there will be no right way to oppose what they feel is right right (laughs) by definition so they are saying that kneeling is is a poor way to deal with how you feel yet we're locked up on quarantine for three weeks and people go with automatic weapons to their state houses to protest i'm at a loss of words yeah, and I and I and I and on just on that, I mean, and I don't want to go off the topic, um, but you, you you say that Gooch, you know, I saw a video um, uh, of a guy with a and with an automatic weapon in in broad daylight on the street, on the street, and you know, obviously people, you know, obviously people got cameras and this and that. And everybody's yelling at him, yelling at him to put the gun down, put the gun down. So long story short, he ends up, and there's cops around too. Cops are around. Cops are there, mm-hmm. and he literally he he puts his gun down. You know he has you know he put he has a mask you know, he has a mask on all that stuff. He puts his gun down, and there's a you know I, and I call him a hero. There's a hero comes and grabs him and you know tries to you know basically beat him up and try to you know make sure he doesn't hurt anybody else. And and guess what happens? They take the, the hero. guy. That, they take the hero, and he's still in jail. And the guy with the gun is already off. He had a semi-automatic weapon in broad daylight. In broad daylight. Literally. 
bro, I saw the video. And I was reading, you know, I was reading, 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 I was reading everything that I could on that, on that just that situation. And I, you know, Goose just brought up and that just came to my head. And the hero's still in jail. Why do they hate us? Well, guys, I think and, that, and and the hero is Latin. Yeah, minority. I, I, yeah, a brown man. Guys, I I uh, I love to bring on um, Coach Stook now, um, just so we can have a discussion and open up the forum a little bit to have um, some questions that we have for a NYPD officer over twenty years of experience. I love to hear from him and how he feels of uh, what's going on. So let's bring on Coach Stook. Uh, who I feel is a person that um, um, I feel is a friend. I feel is a family member and he's part of our soccer community. And uh, I thank you so much um, and have the pleasure of bringing on the legend himself. Mr. Or I say officer <laughs> slash coach slash footballer, Mr. John Stuckenstein. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Good to see you, Demarcus. And the how you doing? Right nice there. to meet you. How you doing, buddy? Good. Uh, I'm, listen, I'm just honored to be talking to guys who played in a couple of World Cups and played over in Europe. And <laughs> so you ain't happy to talk to me too, that. Coach? I'm always happy to talk to you. <laughs> you know that, Coach. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us on this uh, this special edition that we have for our podcast and this um, you know very sensitive and uh, uh, serious time that we're in. And, uh, you know, we, we're having a discussion a little bit, but it's about our feelings and wanted to kind of put out there and ha have a little bit of therapy. We're also thankful for you to join us because you give us a side and you give us the opportunity to speak to somebody directly who is amongst and um, part of the union of the police department in New York City. Um, I know you served over 20 years in probably every borough of yeah, I've, New York uh, City. Yeah, I'm, I'm, listen, I started, uh, I was sworn in an average December day in 1997. Yeah. I hit the streets July 4th weekend of officially July 4th of 1998. I, you know, I worked in the South Bronx for a short bit at Fort Apache for a month with, you know, learning how to do some things. Then I went to East Harlem, which I worked in the second smallest precinct in the entire city. We covered from East 96 to East 115. Hey, that's East, my neighborhood. Spanish Harlem. Yes. Man. Yeah, that's it, El Barrio. And then we had Fifth Avenue. We had the Central Park Wall all the way to the East River. So it's seven-tenths of a square mile. When I left there to, after I got promoted to sergeant, there were 72,000 people living in seven-tenths of a square mile. There was 13 separate uh, NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority uh, developments there. And main thoroughfares, you have the subway line that runs through the sixth line. We had the 96th Street stop, 103, 110. And then 116 is up in the 25th precinct. So it was a good place to learn, good place to work. A lot of good people. I was very fortunate that I had uh, strong supervision mm -hmm. in terms of my immediate supervisors, sergeants and lieutenants. So, and then I basically worked there and then made it into the detective squad. Four months shy of getting promoted to detective, my list number popped the sergeant and I got assigned to the transit division, transit bureau. I worked Midtown, so I had 86th Street on the west side down to Times Square. We had all of Times Square, Bryant Park. That was where I was. And then after I moved my family out to Long Island, we wound up getting transferred to 
District 20, which covers all of Queens except for the Rockaways. So gotcha. I was covering nine precincts, nine separate train lines, 59 stations, and it was a big playground for me to run around it and interact. I could be at 179 in Hillside. I could be in Long Island City. I could be stepping right out underneath. After I do a train run, I could be in Queensbridge Houses, a place where Nas is from and uh, Metal World Peace is from. So, so, so coach, interesting. Coach. You hang out with them? <laughs> uh, you know, listen, I met, meet, meet crazy lots of people. Um, during my time as a young cop, I was a big fan of The Wire. And all of a sudden, at 7-2 in Broadway, one time I see a couple of cast members on different occasions, interacted with them. So like Mookie will tell you, I interact with anybody. I'm engaging. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I see a couple <laughs> so, of things. Coach, uh, real quick, I see you wearing a VCU hat. Uh, you yes. guys, you, you was a former assistant coach under the great Lincoln Phillips. Yes, um, good man. Speak a little bit about what other coaching um, travels that you have um, participated in. Well, I had that opportunity with Lincoln. Then when he left VCU, I had also left. I got on to the New York City Police Department. I was in the academy, and somebody had a post today, hey, you want to play soccer? I was like, sure, no problem. I got a chance to play when I was still good enough to play before I hurt my back. And then all of a sudden, the guy who was running said, hey, uh, I'm retiring. You want to take over? Because I heard you had some coaching experience. So I coached the uh, NYPD enforcers for five years. So that was an interesting experience. We went uh, a couple times to Canada for World Police and Fire Games. We went to L.A. to play in some tournaments, Vegas, Portland. It was good. It was fun. But then, you know, when you have a young family, yes, uh, it, Portland was fun. I, you know, I liked the town. It was we, we were there for a long weekend, and we finished like fourth, and had no problems with it. It was good. Yeah, yeah Coach, man. So, so sitting here now, you know, and again, we brought you on the forum because you know we, we wanted to really have a discussion amongst ourselves. So that's why we brought you on a little bit later. But at the same time, I want to have a discussion with you, right? Sure. I think I think the communication and is, is what is needed um, from both sides, you know, and we have some specific questions about police and we have some questions about America as itself, you know, that we wanted to discuss, you know. Um, I mean, I the great experiment known as the American democracy. Exactly, exactly, yeah, you know. The, the, the great illusion of American <laughs> democracy. You, you know, I, I think we should start off with, um, obviously, the, 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 the specifics of really what happened in Minnesota. I think the biggest leadoff question is um, that I'm sure my brothers and other people who are listening want to know is the first thing is, um, you know, was that protocol for all four offices to kneel on the, um, the, the suspect's uh, back, George right. Floyd? Um, every department is different. Yeah. Whether it's federal, whether it's state troopers or whether it's NYPD or Minneapolis PD. True. There are use of force guidelines. They are drummed into us. Mm. I, I kid you not. When I was in the academy, they told us, you hit somebody who's cuffed, you're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. So as this soon man as you was get cuffed, cuffed you, have to like, you have to, I guess, relent on some of the, the force that you're given. Oh, yeah. You have to relent to an extent in terms of you still have to control the individual for their safety as, you, as well as your safety. Because people can get kicked. People can get headbutted. So procedurally, we, that was drummed into us. Listen, when the cuffs are on, the hands are off, we get a control of the situation. Um, I've had incidents, and we've all had them as police officers, 
where yes, you are tussling, you are fighting with somebody because you're taking their freedom away. People mm -hmm. will fight or flight. It's yeah. just a natural instinct. Yeah. Some people don't work out and it shows <laughs> and they have issues. And it's with us because with such an intense environment, especially Manhattan, there are so many people out on patrol, whether they're in a car or on a foot post, you put something over the radio, there's going to be, the cavalry is going to be there in minutes. Instantly, yeah. Yeah, and they will help you and they will get the person up, they will get you off. And you also do a lot of self-releasing, like, yo, get off them, we got it, we got it, get him off, cool him off. You know, those were the things that you're guided by. And so, I don't so, know so those, what those, that is part of That is part of training in New York City is the cool off part. If you see one of your officers, you feel is being too aggressive, they do encourage you guys to, and there's um, training to, so I guess it could be conscious to that and somebody to react. A fellow officer yeah. to react? You have to be cognizant of the fact because you don't want a lot more people getting hurt. There's a lot of situations that can go sideways very quickly. You have to be able to have restraint. You have to be able to be mature enough to handle that and work as a team. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I was watching this horrific video and they had it on one of the shows and Bernie Carrick was on and he was our former police commissioner. And the first thing he said, well, where was the frontline supervisor? Now, I'm a frontline supervisor going on 15 years now. We respond to all arrest situations. I didn't see a supervisor there, somebody with the, head, with the chevrons as a sergeant to immediately take control of the scene. Yeah. Like, get off of him. What are you doing? What's going on? Pull him away. Get him up. There's different ways to go over. Like, what do you have here? Why are we here? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what hit me, I mean, aside from the, the knee on the neck and everything, what really, really hit me about that whole situation was that everybody was filming. There was a crowd of people watching it, right? And they mm -hmm. were instructing and telling the guy the whole time, you know, he can't, he can't breathe. breathe, he can't breathe, move it, do this. There was actually even a, a firefighter woman that was there telling him. And, yeah. and despite all that, knowing that those people, and they, had, they could do nothing to, to help the situation because if they in interfere, then yeah, they're going to get caught. They're going to get gonna caught, get, yeah. They're going to get cuffed or even worse, they could get shot or killed or violence could, could begin. Sure. So yes. they used their voices and their voices like had no effect on these cops. They're just, one of them was like, just say no to drugs, kids. And I'm thinking, I'm like, this is, this is yeah, ridiculous. you know, and that's, and that's what really enraged me about the whole thing is that as citizens, as a cop, yeah, you're, you're supposed to protect and serve. Great. But as citizens, if you see a crowd, not even two people, like a crowd of people screaming at you for one specific thing, one detail, and you just ignore it the whole time. I was like, well, what, well what's the point? You know, like, yeah, well, you don't know what's going through their minds in terms of they're worried about tactics. All of a sudden, there's a large group of people. Are people going to jump in? Do I have, but they could have at least been more engaging from what I gather because we sit, we sit in the office and we watch this because I'm no longer on the street. And a couple of guys were like, yo, how long is he on his, gonna be on this guy's neck? I'm like, yo, look at this guy's face. Look at his smug look that he has. And I'm like, this isn't good. And then we're watching, we're like, how long does this go on? And like, this is too much. Why aren't the other guys pulling him off? You know, we questioning ourselves. Like we, we wouldn't do something like that, even if it gets heated. It's right. you gotta extricate the individual, get them out of there, move them along, get a different mode of transportation to get them out. If you can't get them into the SUV, you have a van. We have vans. The van will come in. We'll just load them up into the van. Get them out of there. Get yourself out of there. And then you can cool off somewhere else. And then you can get your 
explain to the supervisor what's going on. Well, why'd you move everybody? I just got here. Oh, this is what's going on. Has there been has there been an explanation of why there wasn't a supervisor there at that time? Uh, I don't know, but as I'm telling you right now, as a frontline supervisor in New York City Police Department, I'm exceptionally held account. I'm, I'm held exceptionally accountable for every action that these officers do. Like I said, uh, Mookie will tell you, Queens is a very big borough. I have 59, at one time I had 59 separate subway stations, nine separate train lines, and nine separate precincts that I'm covering. And I could be in Long Island City and then have to race over to Flushing Main Street on the seven line or go over to Willits Point where City Field and the US Open are, fighting traffic, cutting through with my driver, to respond and listen up on the radio. Well, what's this officer doing? He just got an assignment, came over the radio. He might be dealing with somebody who had just a victim of a soul. Let me make my way over there to see how he's handling the assignment. And I would call up another officer. Oh, you're on the train and route there. No problem. I'll meet you there. And we find out what we have. And it's, it's, you have to be a supervisor. You have to be on top of them. Not that they're bad or that not incompetent. You just have to make sure that they're following procedures and they're also following New York state penal law in terms of and the administrative code of city of New York. Mm-hmm. So you have to engage them in that. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier, like, I guess the training and the protocol are different from each, even in New York, like the bureaus or whatever, and especially Minnesota or whatever state. Do you think there should be, it would be more beneficial, I guess, for there to be a, like a nationwide standard of, of cops in terms of de-escalation or manuals uh, to kind of promote and ensure the quality? Uh, it's consistent. Regard- yeah, it's, yeah, it's consistent. Um, I'm sure that is where we're going to be headed because of this. And this is not a unique incident only to Minneapolis. It has been nationwide. We've had situations in New York that were very ugly. Right. Eric Eric Gardner. Well, Eric Gardner's one. Uh, Abner Louima's another. Yeah. Amadou Diallo. I mean, I've worked through all of those. Yeah. And they are not pretty. It's interesting you say you worked through all those because... um, you know, not, you not say, actually physical work. I was yeah, on no, no, no. You're on a job. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you because I, I remember um, Bratton, right? Um, yeah. When he introduced the zero tolerance, um, can you explain what the zero tolerance um, is and and what? Okay, was that? that was on his first stint. Yeah. Under Giuliani, mm-hmm. the city was out of control. It was on the head. The, the rotten apple was on top of the uh, cover of Time magazine. He came in with the model of zero tolerance. Came from broken windows, which is a theory that if you allow different things in your community, like a broken window doesn't get fixed, that means you don't care about your neighborhood. So other smaller things will escalate into bigger things. You'll have people smoking weed on the, on the, uh, on the, on the stoops. You'll have garbage not being picked up or garbage being thrown around. You'll have public intoxication and a lot. You'll have people being violently assaulted and they wanted to get rid of that. So they started with everything small. And that was another thing that when I was going through the academy, we were learning the broken windows theory, zero towns, go out there, address the conditions in these communities on this street. If you have a condition where we're getting a high number of assaults, we're going to have patrols there. We're going to address the little quality of life issues. And I think that um, it's it's funny because I think police officers, uh, the system was looking at it on one way and they weren't looking at it on behalf of the the citizens where that increased um, 
people going to jail, that increase incarceration so much, which heavily affects the, the family. If the bread, oh, listen, yeah, incarceration go, is no joke. Yeah, if the breadwinner goes to jail for smoking weed, and now he cannot provide for his family, then the child suffers, the mother, the, the wife suffers. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant um, a battle and a cycle. And then I think, you know, pers- a, a child growing up in that environment of, um, you know, zero tolerance and which led to stop and frisk. You, you have a generation of kids from 15, up, 15 and up getting arrested and having records before they reach 18, before, they reach, before, they get, before they're able to apply for a real job. You know, they have records and they have, uh, you know, they be, are put through the system. They're going to juvenile. And um, that definitely affected my generation a lot. Um, you know, and looking around and you can't even do anything on your porch. Police officers, I mean, I, I have an instance when, I, you know, I'm in Southside on 109th. I'm at my best friend's house. And we're on the porch and paddy wagons used to drive around on Friday nights and do a swoop. Hmm. Used to jump out and, and grab people up, search you and try to find a reason to throw you in the wagon. And then they'll keep on, they keep you in the wagon and keep driving around until they get enough people to fill up the wagon, take them to jail. The wagon goes back out and they go again. Hmm. And, and this is something that was justified from the police, but as a person who was a victim of that, you know, that was terrifying, man, at 17, 18 years old, dealing with that. Yeah, I mean, basically, the police department is disseminated the policies top down from the mayor down. Mm-hmm. He chooses yeah. his police commissioner. Mm-hmm. He sets forth the policy. And that's, I believe, what goes on in all major cities. Mm-hmm. So there is a way of looking at it. They wanted to, to drive down crime. They wanted to make New York, quote unquote, safe again. And Mayor wanted his, his numbers to look good. Yes. And Cause, no, cause crime, nobody wants to be the mayor that has a yeah. uptick in crime. Yeah, because I would, we weren't committing any crime. They weren't different than any 17-year-old, 18-year-old um, child in America on a Friday night, maybe having a drink or doing what we were doing at our home in front of our stoop. But they're not driving around Long Island sweeping up kids in their backyard or in the parents' basement or in front of their parents' house, smoking and drinking, you know? And that, and that was the issue that, 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 but my biggest question to you is, and a person that's on the beat in the worst neighborhoods, we have a fear of police. It's like a, it's like a game of freeze tag, right? Like the fear is not that we're doing a crime that we're gonna go to jail. The fear is that the police will find a way to make it look like you're doing a crime to put you away, you know? And how do you, how do you feel about police officers and what do you suggest to other police officers um, in terms of how they deal with the community that they weren't raised in and now they have to go walk the beat and they have well, no idea about the community? Well, it, it's interesting that we are right now at this point in time, the New York City Police Department, a minority majority police department. There's been a shift in the dynamic over the last eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, when I came back from Virginia, I moved right into Queens. I lived in Queens, so I was a city resident. So I took the subway to work or I took my car when I worked in the evenings, I mean, late nights. And I was part of the neighborhood in Queens. Yeah. And you see how things change and it's different. It's, I wouldn't say it's challenging. I would say you have to have maybe had a different environment in your background. Like I was, like I said, I worked with Lincoln Phillips for four years. 
-hmm. I was dealing with players from the West Indies, West Africa. I had African-Americans. We had kids from the South. We had kids from New York. We had kids from all over. So we were able to interact. You had exposure. Yes. And I also grew up in Brentwood, which is a very diverse community. Very, very diverse community. And it's also economically impacted, to be honest with you, because I contribute to the Alumni Association for the soccer team. And coach sent us a thing one time and said, 50.6, of the, the student body is under the federally mandated poverty line. Yeah. So that caught me by surprise. I was like, listen, if you need anything, I'll give you a check. No problem. Help these kids out. Yeah. So I constantly go back. And it's just, I think you have to have exposure to different environments and interactions with people. Could you like the community has to be some somehow um, intertwined with the police department that's leasing their community? You know, um, do you believe in that? Or some people say that might be a negative because there's too much interaction. Or no, listen, there's there's when I worked in East Hall, there were a lot of wonderful people there. There are a lot of good people, a lot of hardworking people. That uh, some of the people that we work with in the precinct are civilian employees. They lived in the neighborhood, and all of a sudden. You know, they knew we were out working. They knew who we were. We wouldn't come over and say, hey, how you doing? No, we'd leave them alone because we didn't want to blow them up, you know. And they appreciate us being there. People who are good people, hardworking people, they want to just come home at night, be with their family. They want to be able to go out. They want to be able to enjoy life. And they don't want the problems in their building. They don't want the problems on their block. They would like to be able to have a sense of normalcy. Yes, and the communication with the police to, to have a sure. sense of norms, like you said. Um, guys, sorry to ask so many questions. Um, <laughs> if, if Mookie, just take over. If, if, you, <laughs> if, if you say something, if you see something and say something that goes against the code or goes against one of your fellow officers, do you have a fear of backlash? Well, now as you're a senior, but coming up in the, in, in the system. No, there's ways to handle things. Uh, Geech, you handled uh, Zlatan. There's a simple way of doing things. It, it's it's like that on multiple uh, levels. He, you see how we flipped that? Yeah. <laughs> He's a no, but, but but seriously, um, there are people that I've worked with that are great people. They would open their home to you. It, it, they wouldn't let you drive home if you had too many. I'll say, flop on my couch. Listen, you have a problem with your significant other? Stay here for the night. Cool off. And it's reciprocated. But there are people that you don't get along with. You have class of personalities with or you don't like how they came in on one of your assignments they came to back you up with something and you handle it you handle it like men like you're my man i'm going to talk to you in the locker room that's it and i've told plenty of guys not in an aggressive manner but listen my partner and i we got we got this we're going to handle this have a good day no need we got it and it's like yeah all right no problem the heck with you too so kind of there's that internal policing but because the generations have changed and you're dealing with a lot of um, younger people who grew up maybe in a play date generation. Sensitive. Yes. It's different. I saw it as a supervisor. Once I became a supervisor watching who can take critique, who can't take critique, who knows how to handle themselves. So you have to kind of walk the fine line. And as a supervisor, I can basically turn around and say, listen, my man, come over here. Let me talk to you. I'm going to tell you how it's going. If you ever call me to one of your assignments again, because you don't know what you're doing, the moment I show up, it goes the way of the book, the patrol guide. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to like me. And I don't care. I have, you know, I, mean, I, have, I have a quick question. 
And, sure. and, it, might, and it might be off of everything, uh, off topic a little bit from, from this specific one, but I think you'd be a really good person to get your pr perspective of it. So <clears throat> everybody's heard in, in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, whatever, the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, hashtag Black Lives. And then I guess in regard, in, in response to that, there was the All Lives Matter. In response to that, there was the Blue Lives Matter, right? I would love to, you know, hear your perspective, one, because you're white, two, because you're obviously a cop, in regards to why do you feel, not you personally, but like, why do people feel that the movement of Black Lives Matter is in direct conflict with everything else? You know, that's a good question. I don't have an answer, but, um... I think every life is important. Yeah. You know, we all, in a Judeo-Christian sense, have been taught that the sanctity of human life, everybody's important, everybody matters. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with anybody. You want to just don't push your views on me that I'm bad for not agreeing with you. I kind of am more of a libertarian. Like, do your thing. Don't include. If they don't want to include me, I got it. Listen, I'm good. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to go through life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's people that get very passionate about it because we do, when the shots are fired, we're running towards the sound of the shooting and other people are running away from it. Doesn't make me a hero. I go out there, I do my job to the best of my ability. So do millions of other people. A lot of the guys and gals I work with, they do that. So it's, I don't, I really can't answer that, but I don't see any problems with if you have your point of view and you share it with people, if you want to get out there, you want to do it, just don't attack me in the meantime. Right. Because I'm not into it or I don't. I was just like, going on. for me, obviously being a black male, and I, I just never, obviously all lives matter. Nobody wants a life to, to be yeah. damaged or, or taken away. But I just didn't understand like, not all, but there were always these negative responses. And I, and for me, I was like, how does, how, how does highlighting one issue to some people automatically discourage another, right? When it has nothing to do with it. And, and that's why that issue has to be, is addressed. Yeah. Because, because they feel that way, right, Gooch? Like, and, and, and that's the problem, right? I think that's the problem is that it's not saying, not saying all lives don't matter. We're saying that, listen, there has to be some type of urgency of that black lives matter. This is the problem. It's yeah. like, why, why can't people be secure enough secure. to know that, that one issue doesn't have to do with another and you're not taken away from it, right? But you, you're allowed to highlight something and not say, okay, we don't give a damn about this. Of course we do, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean? it's, it's just, I guess, in the optics of it or how it's perceived, like I said, you said this, a lot of people are very sensitive. Right. Some people take things the wrong way. They take maybe as an affront or why are you attacking me by saying this? in this tone or this manner or in this direction? Yeah, I love to discuss a little bit about the protests and what's going on between the police and the protesters. Um, obviously you can speak specifically about New York City. Um, what would you say to a person who wants to go out there and protest but is scared to have, to get hit or beaten by a police officer or get arrested? Um, Generally, when you go out there to protest, as long as you're peaceful and we're there to protect your right to be, to exercise your First Amendment right, to peaceably assemble, to protest and to speak, whatever your opinion is, if you think, hey, listen, all cops are dirty, nasty people and I hate you, 
I'm not going to turn around and give you the finger and say, hey, you're this and that. I'm just going to stand on the other side of the barricade or where I'm supposed to be standing and I'm going to absorb it and be like, okay, no problem. Next. I wouldn't be actively engaged in picking up things and throwing them. You kind of got to have a sense of, listen, this is starting to get a little overwhelming for me. Maybe it's getting a little too densely crowded in terms of my personal space. Maybe there's somebody who's very boisterous that's near you that's advocating for maybe some violence. Maybe you could turn and go in a different direction and keep yourself secure. That's the only thing I could suggest. I don't think we're going to knowingly go out there just to tackle people to tackle people. But but I often see times where, yes, somebody might, um, initiate was a lot of times police officers initiate as well, right? There's okay. a tactic where I say, where I say the police officers they hold a, a stance, they all lined up together. People are protesting, they're standing in front of them. They don't do anything. And it seems to me like somebody says, okay, we got this, we got the timing or it doesn't seem like something specific happens. And then they react. It seems like there's like, okay, now we ready. And then police officers go. And when they mean they go, they go and they try to push the protesters back. The protesters are peaceful. It's the, or they're, they're, they're um, chanting, singing, whatever they're doing in front of the officers. The officers are sitting there. They, they, they have their stance. They're watching them. And then there's an aggression of the police officers like, that goes towards them. And I guess it's for the listeners who are just part of that peaceful protest. And then when they get ransacked and get pushed, as a person, as a man, if somebody pushes you, police officer, doctor, lawyer, your first reaction is always going to be pushed back or what are you doing? Sure. Especially it's from a... Uh, Especially uh, from New York, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know these guys in New York. You can't you can't touch people in New York. <laughs> I think I think that's any human being. I think that I think the uh, uh, person, uh, a white gentleman from Mississippi. If I push him as a man, he's gonna what? Push me back. So I, I, I so I I, I ask you because there's there's a lot of women and friends of mine who are out there protesting, and they become victims. And these are not these are educated people. They're not throwing stuff. They're not looting but they get caught up in the web of when the cops are ready to make that, make that push. Right. And I, they can, and go ahead, sir. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not physically there. And sometimes the move, the, you know, the, the words come from a different location in terms of rank and file. Yeah. You're standing there next to you and okay, we got it. We want to clear the block. That means you got to start moving people. We got to move them along. And we don't make those decisions independently as white shield police officers that comes from up top. But, but, but don't you think like the intelligence, right? If you have a crowd of people who's been there for a a certain amount of time and then you go say, okay, now we're going to push you out the way you're going to have a confrontation. It's going to get ugly. Sometimes it's, it it seems to me and and other people feel the same way. Sometimes it feels like this is what the cops want. They want to kind of antagonize and create, because, you know, they're human beings, right? They, you're getting screamed at. They, they, they don't want to be there. Half the cops don't want to be there. They're getting paid overtime, but they don't want to be out there. They don't want to be dealing with this um, no, the, shit. Uh, they, would, they would rather be in other places. And, 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 you, and you can see that, right? You can see the way how they react and how they act. They don't give a damn if you're a woman. They don't give a damn if you're a mother. They don't give a damn if you're a daughter. They don't give a damn if you're a son. And that's the disrespect that, um, as we're learning, and as we probably mostly know, it comes from the top. But... You know, that's, that's, that's the confrontation that we have a problem with that we have to solve, you know, um, is the, the procedures, right? And I, and I say that to go into uh, New York City, I know you have to take what, you have to have 60 credits to be a police officer? 
Yeah, when you take the civil service exam for police officer, yeah. by the time you get hired and sworn mm. in, you're supposed to have 60 credits. Yeah. And but that's not want... nationwide, right? In terms of no, any... that's just yeah. something they started about just before I came on. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's a big problem, Gooch, is that you know, as a whole, and not to be disrespectful, a high school diploma or somebody who can just have a high school diploma, how you they not to them put them put them in critical decisions to make proper decisions. I mean, it, it's a bad ratio, right? That you're going to get a, a good result. I think in, in a lot there's like I go back to the whole standard of like the universal standard of the cop. So it's like, like the stigma, I guess, is you know cops don't earn don't get paid well. It's not a prestigious position, and so as a result, you kind of get. Um, in New York City, they get paid well. I just want to let you know. No, no, I'm not saying. I'm just saying <laughs> in general, it, it, it attracts maybe not the most qualified individuals some of the times, right? And I think there needs to be a, a higher standard and maybe a, a shift in regards to the prestigiousness of being a cop because yes, being a cop is a prestigious role. Like you're 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 there to protect the community. You you said it before. You're like I'm not a I'm not a hero. I'm like yeah, you're you are. You you're are meant, a hero. You're, you're meant to be right. That's that's what you are. There's nothing more prestigious than that, right? And until like there's a certain shift in terms of the mental outlook in terms of that, and then the people that they allow into that circle, because I'm not saying all cops are bad by no means, obviously, like, but it's it's just like a, a small group can really plague the image of the larger focus, right? And that's what you need to do in order to kind of eliminate that smaller group from being associated is have stricter guidelines, have stricter... Uh, like a testing or, or whatever it may be to, to be able to get into the police force, I think. Yeah, I mean, you take a civil service test, you go through an extensive background check, you have your own personal background investigator, it's a centralized location now, and you also go through a battery of psychological tests you take, and you also go through some physical aptitude tests. So that kind of washes people out. And during your six months in the academy, you're put under certain stressors. You're put under academic stress. You're put under physical stress in the physical tactics section, what we call the gym block. And you're learning how to drive a police. All of these stressors mounted up in a rigid environment, you have a washout rate of about, mm -hmm. I think my class, I think it was about 10 to 12%. You know, people that can't make a mile and a half run, there's people that can't do a certain amount of pulls or can't come over a wall. They can't do it to drag the dummy, the 175 pound dummy there's different things people fail out academically in terms of we're taking law you're taking uh behavioral science and you're also taking uh police procedures and then you're also learning other things you're learning how to use a firearm you're learning how to in the physical tactics session use an expandable baton how to it just how old i am we we did boxing now they're doing grappling they're doing mixed martial arts because they have to stay involved in terms of the curve in terms of how to protect Definitely. and how to move on you know so and then there's also guys people that once they get out on the street and they are in a daily grind of it say oh wait a second this is this isn't for me uh i'm gonna go back and do an office job or something and there are people that move to smaller departments there are people that move just leave the job so that is you know the funny thing is when the day I was sworn in, like, take a look at all these people next to you. By the time you retire, the only next time you might see them is when you all retire, because you're all going to go different ways of the wind. Some of you are going to leave this job. Some of you are not 
fun is not for you. And some of you are just going to go to different jobs. So that's yeah, yeah. pretty true. Yeah. I, I mean, you kind of touched, I mean, it's kind of going into what, what uh, you guys are talking about, or what we're talking about right now. And you touched on it a little bit. Um, you said, you know, there's going to be a, you know, you think after this, um, all this is going on now, there's going to be somewhat of a, a change with, you know, I don't know with, you didn't really go into, I don't know. It's, it's how, um, how you, you guys are, the policies you guys have or uh, with with um, how you handle different situations, what kind of change is going to be, you think that's going to change right now? Just because. Oh yeah, I mean, since I came on, there has been, I would say the last couple of years of Bloomberg's administration and from the moment that Blasio came in, there was a heavy emphasis on training in terms of use of force training community policing training, and they're all good training. Our in-service training in the New York City Police Department, I would compare that to anything that Fortune 500 companies get in terms of human resources, human growth, uh, personal wellness, they're really pushing that. But community interaction, that was one of his big pushing points. And we were going to academy for in-service training for three days at a time sometimes, like one to three days in a row doing what's called uh, new modern policing, uh, 20K. And we had outside speakers would come in and we're doing in-service training through distance learning where you're watching videos, you're reading procedures and you have to take a quiz. And if you don't pass that quiz, then they give you another chance and you don't pass that one, then it's, hey, let's get going here. Uh, come on in, we're gonna teach you. Maybe you need to learn hands-on. Mm -hmm. There's also the use of force and how we are procedurally guided in terms of what the New York state penal law says in terms of what the city wants. And, you know, it's, uh, this, I, I personally like the way we're getting trained because mm -hmm. it, it's, you, you're thinking differently and it's, you're looking at a different perspective. You know, it's like, Hey, you're, everything out there is a nail. Now go out and fig, figure the problem. Here's a hammer. No, there's, you don't hammer everything. Right. You, maybe you, you wiggle something. Maybe you can interact differently. Maybe you can, speak to people, learn how to do things. Yeah. So that's a different type of learning, different type of teaching, and you have to look at things in a different light. From what I'm gathering is basic messages I'm getting, like, oh, hey, maybe I could interact this way or maybe interact that way. Yeah. Um, one of my last questions to you, um, and there's been a lot of controversy about this in the last few days in regards to the riots, um, one is that everyone's like, oh, the protesters are protest. The protesters are rioting. I'm like, no, the protesters are protesting. The rioters are, and the looters are looting. Right? It's 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 a Correct. division. There's been, um, I wouldn't say conspiracy theories, but but uh, theories that there has been, whether it's law official, law enforcement, or government officials that have been put sent to kind of instigate things like leaving they i've heard people yeah, are pre, put bricks bricks in the middle yeah. of the place yeah or, i've always wondered how there's no construction going on and all of a sudden there's a truck with <laughs> the bricks that wind up somewhere. right 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 and just like you've seen videos of like a random person with a master's nonchalantly breaking glasses and walking off right not even taking part in in the overall protest do you do you do you think that's a conspiracy theory some people are just looking for reasons or do you think that that there's some truth behind all this I think there is from what we're gathering from what we, I mean, just with theory rising at work, we're like, we're looking, we're like, you know, look at all of these guys, they're all wearing masks. And we've dealt with like Antifa type people with Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. 
and interactions with them. So you kind of get a physical look at who they are and what they're like. And you're like, oh, that guy looks kind of like a, somebody we deal with at Occupy Wall Street, or that's it looks like an Antifa guy. They would they they try to mix themselves in. They'll come in, and then all of a sudden they'll instigate, and they'll start to maybe egg people on, or maybe start a violent act like breaking windows, or start kicking on a car, or yelling profanities to the police, and start trying to egg people on, try to get a group mentality. Where all of a sudden it's right. Lord of the Flies. Right. Yeah. I saw one video online, and this guy, a white gentleman. He's, he's in a mix and he's telling, yo, 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 guys, guys, there's a picnic bench. Let's go grab the picnic yeah, bench. Yeah, I saw that. I saw and then, and then, yeah. he, and then unfortunately, that. the weak, uh, maybe they're not intelligent, right, well, well, who get riled up. And then they go, right, the one guy was on the bike, Beasley, about to take off the yeah, go. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, and the guy goes, no, 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 there's a picnic bench over here. And the guy goes, oh, ready, yeah. ready? Okay, let's go, guys. And he jumps yeah. and goes. And then the, 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 the white gentleman just calmly walks behind them. You can see he just like, he's just yeah, yeah. Yeah. leaving well, them blind. He's an agitator. and we Agitator, yeah. Yeah, there's always been agitators. We, we get told that for the last several years. Hey, listen, be careful. There's agitators in the crowd. They'll start to incite other people. They'll start to try to get at you. You have to maintain some discipline. Funky see, monkey do. Coach, I have yeah. a, my la last question. I don't want to keep you too long, right? Is no, that... listen, I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is great to interact. I mean, I'm hoping I can give you some clarity oh, you on some oh, things. Oh, of course, of course. Um, 100%. In New York City, you can't do a gritty a crime and get away with it, right? There's so many cameras. Ever since 9-11, there's a camera on every street. Oh, that's where you live in lower Manhattan. And it's hey, hey, I'm, you blowing up. me up, man. You <laughs> blowing me up from Queens, man. I'm from Queens. I'm from Queens, man. <laughs> he's, a city, but, he's a city boy now. He's a city boy now. So, yeah, so, listen, but, Gotham is great. <laughs> but, 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 but anyway, in New York City, there is a bunch of cameras everywhere. Are you, do you think it's harder now with the mask in general, not just the protests, in general, to police by use? Because a lot of times people get caught because it's caught on camera, right? And you can identify the face and watch what car drove off five blocks later. Do you think it's harder now with the mask? And do you think that these looters, that New York City Police Department are still able to find uh, the people who are doing crimes? Uh, it's, you are correct. There are a lot of cameras downtown and it's worked its way, way past midtown up hey, until hey, now into, uptown. Every store uptown. has, every yeah. store has a camera. Listen to yeah. the sensitive New Yorker over here. Man. Yes, let yes, him, yes, let yes, him, yes. Let the man talk. I'm not gentrification. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, look, as neighborhoods change and there's more, in uh, concern about security for personal security and for uh, property, like um, certain buildings, they'll have doorman buildings, yes, but they also have multiple cameras. There's also what we call Argus cameras. New York City's police department has street cameras that, that are on and located all over the, the five boroughs. And exactly. they're good, they're a resource, mm. they're minimally invasive. It's not like they're zooming in on your face, yeah, it's okay. just watching Queens Boulevard by the Queens. Uh, center mall yeah then you also have our best resource is the cameras that are in buildings mm -hmm. uh several years ago when i was still working in the uh detective bureau somebody had uh thrown a like a pipe bomb at the british embassy uh, uh british consulate and took off on a bike they were able to back at that time we're talking about 2004 they were able to follow that individual on video through all the buildings he made a turn on this street. Okay, now, okay, we got him here. Now check all the buildings. How many cameras you got? How many are store-facing cameras? How many are street-facing cameras? How many 
our building, corner of the building. Where do you, so yeah, you're, you're going to get found out because you might wear a mask when you commit something at 13th and University. Yeah. But by the time you get all the way to 14th and Union Square and you pull the mask off, you're still wearing the same stuff. You're going to get got. There will be ways to find you. And there's, you know, in the subways, there's a lots of cameras and it's becoming a very digital society. And also people have their own cameras. They'll turn around and be like, oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Well, well, coach, man, again, I want to say thank you for Wait, taking I, 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 my I'm phone. Yeah, sure. Is, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no. I mean, Listen, you've been I, quiet all the time. I'm waiting for the PSV <laughs> man here to go. <laughs> my, my, my question, and this is more of, um, and I don't even know if you can answer it, but um, I, I definitely want to, you know, hear your opinion. And if you can't answer it, uh, that'd be great. But, uh, and this is um, about the, uh, you know, about George Floyd. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the guy that, the, the, the cop that um, put his knee in his, uh, on George Floyd's neck and killed him uh, got arrested. Um, but the other cops, that's essentially a murder, is it not? Um, why, why, why is it? I mean, cause for me, and this is what, you know, um, a lot of, you know, it's just, you know, me, I'm, I'm just a you know, normal guy, but I hear, you know, uh, we take care of our own, you know, cops, they take care of their own and they, they keep it in family and this and that. So for me, is this kind of what is going on with the other three cops that just stood and did nothing? You know, why are they not being held accountable just as much as, you know, the guy that actually, you know, stood on his, on his, uh, or need on his neck. Why are they, okay. why, how is that not accessory to murder? All right, as best I can explain this, okay? Like I said, um, New York State penal law mm-hmm. is different than the state of Minnesota's penal, penal law, as is different in Virginia. And like when you were at ODU and I was at VCU, it's not the penal law, it's the code of Virginia. They have different statutes than we do here. So each state has its own set of guidelines and statutes in terms of what constitutes certain crime. The investigation into those three guys are, is still ongoing. That is probably being handled by Minneapolis Police Department, probably the district attorney of Minneapolis. But the thing that the president did right away is he said to the Justice Department, get over there, I wanna know what's going on, start your investigation. And the FBI Civil Rights Division was sent in. And when they come in, it's, it's a wrap, my man. I'll tell you right now. Abner Louima, those guys, they'll tell you. It's done. Because the feds have infinite resources. They have nothing but time. They will wait you out. And it might take a little bit, but they will get you. And they're going to get got. It's just a matter of time. We say it at work, like, you know, these guys get grabbed yet? No, not yet. Well, when's it coming? Uh, it's coming. Mm-hmm. So there will be something there. Yeah. They've already, you know on the advice of lawyer of their counsel of not answering any questions. Right. So that's, like I said, everything is different in terms of each state, each location. Each state. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, listen, it was very disturbing to watch, to see this happen to another human being, especially we're in this, the guys that I work with, we're in this profession, like what's going on? Why did this, how did they even think this? What was this guy thinking? It's disturbing and it has to be addressed. And they lost their jobs, fine, that's minimal. One guy's getting locked up, he's gonna do a serious bit of time. 
probably 25 to life. But history has shown, Coach, that you know, usually they don't get convicted, unfortunately. Uh, well, there's video on this. Mm. Okay? There is public outcry. You just got to hope that there's going to maybe have to be, his lawyer could say right now, change of venue. It's not going to be in Minneapolis. It'll be somewhere in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. They're going to argue for that. That's what his lawyers are going to do. And it all depends what the judge says. But yeah. once the feds get involved, it, listen, the Rodney King incident back in the 90s, they got off, right? Yep. Hmm. Guess who came in? The feds came in, civil rights violations, they all went. Mm. Okay. Okay, that's what the catch-all is. That's why when you have the Justice Department walks in, especially with their Human Rights Division, and you have the FBI goes in with their civil rights violation units, and they had the AUSA, the, assist, the U.S. Attorney for that region, like New York City has the Southern District and the Eastern District. Once they get involved, it's, it's a roller. It's over. You might as well figure out a plea deal. So it's, it's going to come. It just has to go through a process yeah. in terms of what they have in terms of video evidence, what people state, statements. That's all it's going to come down to on that. It's, you just have to be patient, and we're just as wondering as everybody else. Definitely, definitely. Well, Coach, man, thank you so much again for being honest with us. Yeah, listen, uh, not and, a problem. And, and, and getting on and, and sharing with us. And, uh, again, uh, great conversation, but also we, it's a needed conversation, you know. And uh, I hope we, next time we talk, we can talk about something that refers more into football. Well, we can talk about my, my boys Hamburg getting back into the Bundesliga. That's hey. They're killing it. They're killing it. They're going to wind up in a relegation game and have to play somebody, and I got to go to a home and home. <laughs> hey, so, man, Bayern Munich wins it every year anyway, so you might as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, du a duopoly, monopoly over there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. They, they always steal the best players from the opponents anyway. He's talking like a true New Yorker right now. <laughs> <laughs> listen, it's, listen I, you know, I follow teams because I have certain attractions to them. I mean, Real Madrid, because back when I was younger, they had all the German guys went there, Paul Breitner, Gunther Netzer, and then into Milan because they had Rummenigge and then they had, you know, the trio Bremer and um, Klinsmann and Lothar Mateus. And then yeah. in terms of, of England, Balak wound up going to Chelsea and I happen to like Mourinho. So I'm a Chelsea fan in that regard. <laughs> so, but I'll let you know, Marcus, I don't like Ajax. I'd like PSB. Uh, for this yeah, sport, I, there you go. I like that. Yeah, I like that. My boy Jeffrey Bromer plays there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Now he's back to Wolfsburg. I wish he wouldn't be injured as much. He's good. Yo, did you get that picture I sent you? Oh, of course, of course. We're going to show it to the to, to the audience, man, in the post, you know? Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's a uh, funny little story. Uh, there's a picture of myself with Nathan Ake. I'm in uniform. As New York is, it's crazy. You meet crazy people. You see all sorts of people. I'm working the Puerto Rican Day Parade. I'm in front of the Plaza Hotel. I'm interacting with the cops, making sure that they're doing what they're doing. And I see this young man and a couple of his friends, and I look, and I said, oh, wait a second. And I point at him. I wave. He looks at me, and I kind of motion him over, like, come over here, please. He walks over to me, and he gives me a sheepish look, and I reach out my hand. And I said, uh, you're Nathan Ake, right? He goes, and he smiles. He goes, yes, I am. I said, I'm so disappointed that Chelsea let you go. The board. <laughs> I said, I liked you playing on the left back. I thought you got up and down, box to box well. I thought you did some good things in the center back role. I said, you could even play the holding role. I said, 
you're on the under 23 national team. And he, we talked for like 15 minutes. And <laughs> he was like, listen, I want to play for my national team. I need games. I go, listen, I hear you. I just hope they exercise the buyback clause and bring them back. Well, so, listen, they, they're going to, um, they're going to bring, Arsenal about to buy him, so don't worry about that, coach. Oh man, now I can't <laughs> like him. I got you know because I, I hit him up on Twitter. I sent him a picture. I'm like, listen, thanks. It was a good time, good talking to you and all of that. Wished him the best. So if he goes to Arsenal, I, yeah, me a little, a little disappointed there. I hear you, man. <laughs> coach, thank you again, brother. I appreciate you. All right, listen, be thank well. You. Good appreciate luck with it. everything. Thank you. And uh, nice meeting you guys. All right. You, all right. Take, take care. All right. Thank you. Be safe. You know, very, very. Uh, what'd you think about? coach and what he had to say and his point of view and I mean yeah I mean he's he's an educated man right um he's not oblivious to what's going on mm-hmm. and I almost feel bad for him because it's like his subgroup is getting a bad image and there's, it's not all the bad people it's not all the the bad apples um but you know as a as a response to all this, they all get thrown into that, that group. Right. Uh, But, you know, it was very informative. He gave us, he gave us some insight, you know, some, some answers I didn't even know about in regards to things. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that he was uh, able to come on. You know, he seems like a cool cat, you know, even though he's, even though he's from New York. uh, He's the truth, man. He's the truth, man. But again, um, you know, I'm I'm glad you guys got a chance to uh, have a little discussion. And I think there's something that has to be continued. And, um, you know, we need a part two that goes into some, some other things that are very serious that has to deal with what's going on right now. But to, to the listeners out there, um, you know, I hope you realize and know that, um, you know, we, we have to be united, right? And, we, and you realize that you're not alone. I want to encourage people to talk to people if you're feeling down, if you're feeling uh, frustrated, emotional. Um, just know that it, that is normal. But you have to communicate. You have to reach out. And uh, Gooch, you can always find Gooch on DM. And he'll, and <laughs> he'll, vent, he'll eventually give you your phone number. And Get you can call him and talk to him. You know, you out of issues, you know. Bees, I, I was telling him that um, thank you for him. I didn't mean for you to... Um, Get off as well. Oh yeah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I was like, all right, then, peace. Typical <laughs> left, typical left winger, man. Um, I, I just want to recap. Um, you know, and, and it got obviously close out the show. I know um, we all have things we have to do for this morning, but it was good to get a chance to have a, a conversation. Again, I told you how emotional I was this morning. But um, bees, what do you think about the conversation and Coach Stoke? Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, I think. Um, it was uh, informative. It was it was an in- interesting conversation, you know, to hear from his his point of view on different different topics. You know, obviously with the situation that happened with George Floyd, obviously things that happened in New York, you know, things that he was supervised, you know, uh, that things that he has supervised. He wasn't there, but he was, you know, he he heard the talk, you know, throughout his um, his his precinct, and obviously um, the riots that's going on now. Um, so I think it was great, you know, to to hear his perspective on things and. And, you know, obviously talk a little bit about football, but for, for me, it was more so just getting a, 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 a sense of what they actually, you know, go through, talk about, and how they think about different, and different, different things in different circumstances. Circumstances, yeah. Gooch, close us out um, and, and with, a, with a thought 
and maybe um, I think the key for me is you know we all want solutions, right? We have a conversation. I think one solution that we spoke about with coaches um, was uh, needs to be a community relationship with the police. And I think they have some of those in certain cities, but not all. But I think the community has to have a board that polices the police. I mean, I mean there, there has to be some standard, right? Um, and, and like he said, he feels like it's, it's going to go towards that, that direction right now. I mean, um, to close it out, you know, we, we, we started this whole thing, the conversation talking about this is nothing new to us three, right? This is nothing that we just started experiencing or witnessing or, or taking notice to. This is something that I've known and I've seen all 38 years of my life, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people choose to be oblivious to it. Um, if, if you really want to think about it in terms of a timeline, you know, segregation ended in 1954, right? 66 years ago. That's well within lifetime of people that we're still in, in association with, right? 10 years, after, mean, 10 years before Bees was born. Exactly. Right before Bees' birth. <laughs> Uh, there was, you know, Jim Crow, segregation, black, white schools. So that stigma is not, it doesn't disappear just because you make a law. It doesn't disappear just because Barack was president. You know, it doesn't disappear because Oprah Winfrey's rich. It doesn't mm. disappear because black athletes are wealthy. Mm. You know, that, that, that doesn't disappear. And I think for me, and this is my personal opinion, is I don't believe th th this <laughs> racism is so deeply threaded and embedded in the society that we, we were built. This country was built off of suppression of, of, a, of an oppressed minority. It was built off of racist thoughts, acts. I mean, just like I said, only 66 years ago, me and my girl couldn't even attend the same school, right? Um, so I don't think it's, it's, it's about changing what was old because change is truly difficult. It's about creating a new America, right? You know, you have we, to re Sorry. We, we have to, we have to just reform. It, it has to be created. Like it's hard to go back and change hundreds, multiple centuries of thought, action, and, 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 and habit. But it's not that difficult to pivot and be like, okay, I'm not going to go this way. I'm going to turn this way and continue down this road. And I think that's, I think we're at a real crucial moment in our history and our lifetimes. And this is a, this is an opportunity for humanity, for, for society, for everybody. It's because it's not just happening in America, the riots and the protests are going on in Europe. They're going on everywhere else, you know? And, and I think as a global community, this is a great opportunity to pivot and say, okay, you know, I, I agree. I was ig ignoring this. I saw it. I was ignoring. I wasn't standing up. That's not going to happen anymore. This won't continue. I won't stand for it. And that's where I feel like that's the opportunity um, for, for our global society to, to actually make a difference. Definitely. Definitely. Well, fellas, um, I want to wish you guys a, um, a better day, a positive day. Uh, be strong. Um, talk to you, talk to fellow friends and reach out and, um, you know, good show. And I love you guys. I ever told you that? <laughs> nah, you ain't never tell me that. I love you too, man. I love you too, man. I love you too, I love man. You All right, boys. Love y'all, boys. All right, peace out. All right, man. Be safe. Yeah. Peace.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.